I appreciate it so much. But I want to challenge the uh, church this morning. And I want to bring up a slide here this morning that I want you to see. They say the average attention span of a person years ago was eight minutes, an adult. So that means with multimedia and with video games, probably the average attention span even of an adult today is about five minutes. So I'm going to challenge you this morning, don't let other thoughts creep into your mind as we're speaking. We have a message, I think it is very important. I want you to get all of it that you can get out of it. But it's so easy to let our minds wander. I was very naive as a young pastor. I would see people looking at me, and I thought, wow, they're really interested in what I'm saying. But if I could see the caption, it might say, I've got groceries to get today. I've got a lawn to mow. I've got things to do. And all these thoughts begin to creep into your mind. So try to really concentrate this morning on the message that I'm going to be bringing to you. Don't let your minds wander. Uh, after church, all those things will still be there. But I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8. And this morning I am speaking on the power of one. The power of one. Acts chapter 8. And look at verse 1 with me, please, this morning. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. <clears throat> now jump over to verse 25. <clears throat> so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopian, a eunuch, a great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariots. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the book of prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guide me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Why would God call Philip from a great revival? Lives were being changed. Demons were coming out of people. Great multitudes were coming to the Lord. And God takes Philip and he brings him to another direction. And personally, I believe what God was emphasizing was the power of one. And that's the title of the message today, the power of one. You see, everybody in this auditorium today has an influence on certain people or many people. They say the average person has an influence over 500 people. So a business understands that when they lose a customer, they might also lose 500 other customers if they take a negative uh, remarks of that company. So every person, no matter who they are, has at least an effect of 500 people. But the power of one. But in America, we have been programmed 
for the big. The Super Bowl comes along. It's just a few people running on the field. and Millions of people are watching. The World Series will soon be here. A few people on the field, millions watching. We go to the Oscars. There's the stars. Millions of people turned into the Oscars. And we are programmed to the big. And sadly, I think what we do is we lose our significance of who we are and the influence that we have on an individual basis. And I believe what God wants to do, he wants to call everybody in this auditorium to come alongside of people that they meet, they know, they work with, and come alongside of them and be that special person. Years ago, God, God didn't know, but years ago there was a restaurant that started. I want Scott to bring that up. And it was called McDonald's. It was started by a guy by the name of Maurice and Richard McDonald. And originally what people don't know is they started a barbecue joint. They didn't start a hamburger joint, but it was barbecue. But they realized that most people bought hamburgers. So they started to just sell hamburgers. And they had a process by which each person did one thing, and they quickly could have fast food for people that wanted it. There was a guy who came along by the name of Ray Kroc. And Ray Kroc bought the business. And then what he did, he came up with the idea of franchising. He would have the business franchise to other people. Now, in America, there's only 14,146 McDonald's. But you think they're everywhere. My little grandchildren, if they see the golden arches right away, Grandpa, <laughs> let's go with the McDonald's. But they did something that God had set up originally. You see, in America, there's 400 to 500,000 churches in America. And God put them everywhere, in the towns, in the cities. He put them in the hamlets. He put them in the country. And all over the countryside, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of churches. And this is my question this morning, though. With 400 to 500,000 churches in America, why has society progressively become worse? And it has become worse. Why is not God's plan having an effect upon our society. And this is what I've come down to, and you may not agree with me, but that's fine. I believe we have bought into the big. You've come here this morning. We have some musicians up front. pastor's going to speak a few words. The usher's going to take an offering. And then you're going to leave. And you're going to get on with life. But that's not the way God meant it. God meant that you and I come here for edification, to be built up, to be encouraged. And then we leave we become the church. A one-on-one, -on -one, the power of one where we touch the lives of people. You see, my life personally has been touched not by the big, but my life has been touched by those that came alongside me. I was raised in what you would call a very dysfunctional home. At a very young age, the earliest memories I have, I'm sitting outside on the steps. My sister is right beside me. My other brother is beside me. I'm very young, probably about seven years old, and I could hear my father beating my mother on the inside. And as I sat on the steps on the outside, a hatred grew up within me from my father. And I had one desire in my heart to protect my mother one day, that he would never touch her again. That day came at age 12 when I took my father on. He could have beat me, but I think he was scared. And I told him, if he ever touches again, I'll kill you. And from that time on, he never touched me or my mother again. Well, we came from a lot of dysfunction. My dad was an alcoholic. My dad gambled a lot of money away. Many times he'd come home from work, he'd have no money. The money was all gone. He gambled it away. So we live in a very dysfunctional home. 
uh, at a very young age, my responsibility was, was to shoot groundhogs for food. My responsibility was to skin them, and then we'd put them in a big pot, and we'd pour salt in because we'd soften the meat, and that's what we would eat because we didn't really have a lot of food to eat. But I came out of a lot of dysfunction. But the one thing my mother did for me, which I'm very thankful to this day, is she took me to church. And in the fifth grade, I had a Sunday school teacher by the name of Rollin G. Now, Rollin wasn't much to look at. He was about five feet tall, four and a half feet wide. His hair looked like barbed wire. But there's one thing, he loved his boys. And I remember he would have special parties for us. And he would come all the way over to my house and pick me up in his old dilapidated truck. And he would take us back to his house and take us out in the woods. He would have a bonfire. And he would take uh, tree lambs and he would cut them so we could take hot dogs on them. Now that might be small to you. That was big to me. I had never had a hot dog roast. I had never seen a hot dog put in a fire and cooked. And to me, this is really wonderful. We would cook the hot dogs and he would buy pop for us. Or down here, you say soda. Up north, we say pop, okay? He would have orange pop and, and, and we'd eat the hot dogs and we'd uh, enjoy the pop. And then after the picnic was done, we always wanted him to take us to one place. There was this lady that lived way out in the country. She had about 50 huskies, white huskies around her house. I don't know how she fed them, but the house was about as big as our garage. And he would always take us there, and we would see all these dogs around the house. And as a young boy, he didn't know what I was going through. He didn't know it was in my heart. He didn't know the nightmares I had at night. But he loved me. And he took interest in a little boy and came and picked me up. The power of one. And today, I love Roland G., even though he's gone. And I'll see him in heaven again someday. But he loved me. He loved his boys. It wasn't the big. It was that one-on-one -on -one personal interest in a young little boy. And then as I continued on in life, it came time for me to graduate, 1965. I graduated 102 out of 103. That means I was at the bottom. I was the left halfback. Jimmy Hyde was the right halfback. He was 103. My coaches would always come into the rooms where we were, and they would say, none of my boys get below a C. I knew I never had to take a book home, and I never did. I played football, basketball, and baseball, football in the fall, basketball in the winter and spring, baseball in the spring. So I was covered. I never had to take a book home. But I graduated in 1965 at the bottom of the class. And then in 1966, I got my draft notice. That was the Vietnam era. And some of you are a lot younger. You're not aware of the Vietnam era. But it was an era where a, a lot of revolt took place. We lost a lot of young boys. And I decided I was not going to let them choose where I was going to serve in the military. I was going to choose. There was a song back then, maybe some of you older people would remember, Barry Sadler, The Ballad of the Green Berets. It was a very popular song that made it at the top of the hits. And I always wanted to be a Green Beret. So I decided, okay, I'm not going to let them tell me where I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be a Green Beret. How many of you have ever heard of the Ballad of the Green Berets? Now, some of you have. You know, I'm not a good singer. No one has ever asked me to sing a special. No one has ever asked me up on the platform. But I'm going to sing a song for you. Cover your ears if you have to, but this is me, okay? Fighting soldiers from the sky. Fearless men who jump and die. Men who mean just what they say. The brave men of the Green Beret. 
Silver wings upon his chest makes him one of America's best. A hundred men will fight today, but only three win the Green Beret. And I was going to be a Green Beret. But the first verse says, fighting soldiers from the sky, fearless men who jump and die. I sort of missed that verse. But I was going to sign with the Green Berets, and my phone rang on a Thursday night. And I answered the phone. And the man said, is this Joe? And I said, yes, it is. He said, Joe, this is Martin Schweller. He was the guidance counselor of Condit Valley High School. He said, Joe, there's a school in North Carolina, Lewis McCray College. They had a whole bunch of students drop out, and they don't have the money. They'll take anybody. He said, Joe, they'll take you over the phone. I always thought you could do it, but you never applied yourself. Would you give it a try? I called the next morning, and they accepted me over the phone. That afternoon, my mother and I went to Meadville, and I got my loan to go to college. Next day, I was on a Greyhound bus from North Carolina. First semester, I got three Fs. I had never studied. But the second semester, I got my grades high enough to be on the dean's list. And I was on my way. Two years later, I graduated at Lee's McCray College with a social arts degree. Two years after that, I graduated from Edinburgh State University with a BA in education. But you know what the difference was? No one had ever told me. You can do it. I believe you can do it. I was lived in a home where a lot of criticism came, but he was the first person I ever said, I believe you can do it, Joe. And you know what? There are thousands of people that come into contact with all of you during the week, during the year. They just need encouragement. They just need someone to say, I believe in you. I believe you can do it. I believe you're worthy. I believe you have potential. I wrote Martin many letters of thankfulness. I went to see him personally to thank him. And I was home at one time when he was dying in the hospital. And I went in and had prayer with him before he died. And I thanked him. I said, Martin, thank you. Because you believed in me as a young man. And without those personal caring and that love, people came alongside me. I don't know where I'd be today. That's the power of one. You know, in Luke chapter 15, it says, Then were gathered unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, He receiveth and eateth with sinners. And as a young Christian, I read that verse and I thought, I don't see the world attracted to a lot of Christians. And I don't see them attracted to the church. And I thought, what's the difference? And I think what I came down with is that the church many times is bought into the big. And we don't come down and personally walk alongside even sinners. And Luke chapter 15 after they criticized Christ, he gave three illustrations. The illustration of a one lost sheep out of the hundred. The next was a lost coin. And the last was the prodigal son. And here's what Christ was saying. I want you to know, I care about people. I care about the one that's lost. I care about the individual. I am here to give them hope. And then I understood the power of one. You see, it's so easy to get caught up in the church, that I've come here today, and then I leave, and I go on with life. But if you read the Bible, God emphasized the one. 
When he needed a nation, he called Abraham. When he needed to take the Israelites into the promised land, he took Joshua and Caleb. And then he came along and he found Gideon. And then when Israel was going to be destroyed by wicked Haman, he had Esther. And then he had Daniel. And even Christ practices himself in John chapter 4. The disciples went to get food, but he went towards Samaria and he met the woman at the well. And eventually led her to the Lord. You see, the disciples were off doing their thing. He was the power of one. And as you move through the Bible, you'll see this over and over and over again. And the point being this morning is that you and I all have influence. This is my high school yearbook, 1965. I love my classmates. After I got saved, I wanted to see them all in heaven. And we have a wonderful alumni association. And what I did is I got in contact with the person over the alumni association. I got the addresses of all my classmates. And I wrote them all a personal letter. I remember something good about them. I told them how I had been saved by Jesus Christ. I explained to them how to be saved. And I expressed to them in the letter that I want to see them in heaven too. And then about 10 years later, I did it again. You say, why? Because I want to see them in heaven. Who's going to give them the personal touch? You see, Joe Eunuch was not saved in high school. But now he's a different person. And I wanted them to know that. This is my college yearbook. And after I graduated and I got saved, what I did is I went through the yearbook. And then I went on the internet, how you can find people where they live. And I started going down through and I found each person that I had been in contact with in college. I found their phone numbers and I gave them a call on the telephone. And then they were really surprised to hear from me. And then I asked them to give me their address. And when they gave me their address, I would send them a track, a letter, something personal about them, how I had been saved, and how I want them to be saved. One of the young men was Willie Capuana. Willie Capuana won the Golden Gloves Boxing Championship in New York and New Jersey. Uh, Willie and I, many times in college, we had wrestled together. We had a great time. And I found Willie. He lived in New Jersey, close to my daughter, Carolyn. I got him on the phone and I said, hey, is this Willie Capuana? He recognized the voice right away after all these years. He said, is this Joe Eunuch? I said, it sure is Willie. I asked him where he lived and he told me and I went to see him. I found out that Willie had been born again. Asked Jesus Christ to become his savior. I call him almost every week. That's how, how everything is going. But here's what I'm saying this morning. It was that personal interest. I loved him. I wanted to see him in heaven. And I could reach out to them. Maybe no one else would. But that was that power of one. And this morning in, in the auditorium today, all of you have people that you can touch that you can reach for Jesus Christ. It, it might be in your neighborhood. It might be in the family. It might be the people at work, people you would never think. There's a young man. Uh, I work at the Friendship Center when I'm not substitute teaching. I substitute 180 days a year. Then I work with the Friendship Center when they need a manager or they need, uh, or I have a ranger's job. And there was a young, tall young guy, about six foot eight. His name is Josiah. And we played basketball a lot together. He was given a full ride to the University of Maine. And the other day he says, Pastor Joe, come here. Can I talk to you? I said, sure. So he walked over a side room. He said, hey, I need your prayers. He said, I'm trying out for the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, not the professional team, but one of their subdivisions. And I want to make it. Pastor Joe, would you pray for me? You see, I never said anything to him, but it's just loving him, caring for him, walking alongside of him, building him up. And then he calls me alongside. Would you just pray for me? I said, sure, Josiah. 
And then the next day, I texted him and I said, Josiah, I'm praying for you today that you're going to make the team. And he texted me back, thank you, Pastor Joe. It's just the little things that we can do, that we can come alongside. Our neighbors that we're close, we live beside. I have a family right beside me that is from India. And his mailbox broke and his mailbox needed fixed. I said, hey, why don't you let me help you put you in your mailbox? So we walked, went over to um, Home Depot, bought the mailbox. We got a pick and shovel and I put it in for him. He said, well, why'd you do that? Because you love him here to get an opportunity here. And two weeks ago, I sat in his house for two and a half hours and told him about Jesus Christ. Now, he had all different types of beliefs. He believed in reincarnation. He believed in evolution. Uh, he believed all kind of crazy beliefs. His wife came over about two weeks ago and brought a plant for Jeannie to help her sort of nurture it along. She said, this is my God. Well, that plant is not a God, but she thinks it is. But here's what I'm saying. Wherever we are at, there's the power of one. I had a neighbor to the right of me. He moved in with his girlfriend. The police were there all the time. They had three and four cars all the time, him fighting with her children. And it was just a mess. And he was hard to take. But I would just love him, just love him, just love him. Make a long story short, I had the opportunity to lead him to Jesus Christ. And I remember him saying to me, and he passed away since then. He got cancer and died. He said, Joe, I never wanted religion. But I didn't know it was this easy. You just asked Jesus into your heart to save you. I said, that's right. It's really not that difficult. But what I'm saying is, if you and I would realize that we have power, we have influence, every day we meet people that we come into contact with. I was sitting in my office one day, and a man knocked on my door, and he wanted to sell me Aflax, you know, that dumb goose commercial, whatever it is on television, makes you laugh, but he was selling Aflax. Well, I didn't buy any Aflax, but what I did do is I opened my Bible to him and sat him down, I said, I want to tell you something about Jesus Christ. It's life insurance. It's the best insurance you're ever going to have for eternity. And so he left. I didn't think anything of it. Almost one year to that date, someone knocked on my door. It was the same guy that wanted to sell Aflax. So he came and he said, Joe, I'm in trouble and I need help. I said, what's the problem? He said, well, I was in a bar fight. I got knocked out. And I was taken to the hospital and the bill is $25,000. He said, the very next week I went back and I was pulled over for DUI. And it was the third time. He said, now I owe about $27,000. I said, well, I have an answer for you. But it's found in the book and his name is Jesus. Now I'm going to make a long story short. I led him to Jesus Christ. Got him into a good church in the area. And about a year later, he contacted me on the phone. He said, hey, Joe, would you come to my baptism? I said, sure. So I came to his baptism. About a year after that, he contacted me on the phone. He said, hey, Joe, I'm getting married to a fine Christian girl. Would you come to my wedding? I said, sure, I'll come to your wedding. And to make a long story short, he's studying for the ministry today to be a minister. You say, what did you do? That's all I did was tell him about Jesus. That's all I did was come alongside of him. See, it's the power of one. You see, you have influence, I have influence. But so often, we're not open because we're not thinking along this line. I want to bring Philippians chapter 4 up on the screen. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit. <laughs> I'm sorry. That it may abound to your account. Paul said, it's not that I want money from you, but I want fruit that may abound to your account. 
Everybody in this auditorium has an account with God. Everybody. I don't know what it is. I don't know what mine is. But I know every person I can see saved, every person I can come alongside, every person I can touch for Jesus Christ goes on my account. This is my bank account. That's my checking account. I know how much is in here or how much isn't in here. But it's here, okay? But what I want to stress is this. I have a bank account, but I also have a spiritual bank account. And every day it's being built by the people I touch, by the people I love, by the people I come in contact with. And you have an account too. And one day God's going to show you your account that you've built up spiritually. That's why he said, lay not up treasure on earth where moth and rust doeth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay for yourselves up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. And then you go to Matthew 25, verse 34. Then shall the king say also unto them on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then shall the righteous answer and say unto him, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and gave thee food, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? When saw we thee in prison, and visited thee? Then shall the king answer and say unto them, Insomuch as ye have done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. He said, Even a cup of cold water given in my name will not go unrewarded. And see, this morning, I have an account, and you have an account. And Paul said, What I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to build your account with God. I want you to give. Maybe your life, maybe your time, maybe your money. But I want you to give because you're touching the Spirit of God. A number of years ago, I was in a lady's house, and on her counter were all types of cards and notes. And I started reading them and things she had done for them, and I said, where'd you get all these? She said, well, I sort of just help people here, help people there. I was sitting there in her home, and I had never received one note. <laughs> I was preaching. I was holding revival meetings, but I'd never received one note. You know why? Because I was caught up in the big. And I determined sitting in her house that day, I am going to be individually be involved in the lives of people. And I show this to you this morning, certainly not to brag because what I do, you can do, but over the years what I've done is I've kept the notes of people that sent me thank you notes. Maybe I visited them, maybe I gave them financially, maybe I just came alongside of them, and I started keeping those notes. And I thought, this is fun, this is nice. That's all I did was walk alongside of them. That's all I did was send a note, that's all I did was encourage them. But you see, there are a lot of hurting people that you and I meet every day. You never know what's on the other side of those two eyes what they've been through, the hurts they're carrying. And they just want someone to come alongside and build them up and love them and care for them. And that lady in that little house taught me a, mess, a lesson. I could do it too. You know where the blessing came though? When I got the notes. I started reading. And the blessing just came back. And it's not a matter that I did something because Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 
that one watered, but God gave the increase. Years ago, the Chicago Bulls was playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, and in that game, Michael Jordan scored 69 points. Stacey King scored one point. And after the game was over, they asked Stacey King, what was the most wonderful thing about the playoffs? As you can remember, here's what he said. The game that Michael Jordan and I scored 70 points. And that's how I feel. That's all I did was be a vessel. God did all the blessing and bringing people's hearts around. You see, I'm just a vessel. You're just a vessel. But we're a vessel this morning, aren't we? And we can touch the lives of people. i got to remember where I'm at here. Okay. Okay. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. This is very important. You say, this is exciting. I'm going to go out. But just remember this, that lost people act like lost people. Right? And you've got to consider that. And you've got to realize that as you're going to go out and be a minister for Jesus Christ, sometimes people will not always act the best or even accept what you have. I was teaching at Central Dolphin High School, and I came into the classroom, and I said, okay, all cell phones put away, please. One boy looked up at me, and he said, Mr. Unick, you might as well kick me out right now because I'm not giving up my cell phone. And I said, well, Caleb, you're going to have to put your cell phone up because I cannot have you, allow, have you to have it in class. He said, well, you might as well call the principal now. So I walked over to call the principal, and he walked out of the school. He left. I didn't leave it there. A number of days later, I saw him in the library. And I walked over and put my arm around him. And I said, hey, Caleb, I didn't do that because I don't like you. I do that because I care for you. And I want the best for you. And I see you have potential. And you're smart. He said, you know, Mr. Eunuch, I was beat with a pistol. I come from a very rough home. And I share with him where I came from. Now I'm going to make a long story short. He worked at a grocery store down in Harrisburg. And one day I walked in, and there he was. His hair was all cut. <laughs> and he looked like a fine young man. I said, yeah, you look so nice. He said, Mr. Eunuch, I do have potential. And I can do it. And I've set some goals in my life. And every week I would go back to the grocery store and I'd say the same thing. Caleb, you have potential. I believe in you. And I believe you can go a long way in life. But you need to apply yourself. And I'd always say, to remember my story? He said, I know, Mr. Eunuch. Sometimes it's just coming alongside even some of those that aren't that lovely. But you've got to love them where they're at and care for them. Up on the screen, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus said, I see the multitudes. They're sheep having no shepherd. As you look at our society today, and you look at the brokenness and the hurt, you see the problems we're having in division, I believe Christ would have great compassion for the brokenness of our society. And I believe the church has the answer. Not just coming to the building, but leaving here today and saying, I am going 
and touch a life for Jesus Christ. It might be at work, it might be in the neighborhood, it might be in the family, but I am one. And there is power in one. Years ago, there was a song that came up. Let me skip the next one. It's called Lonely Voices. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but the song touched me years ago. And again, I can't sing. I know that. I'll never be up on stage, but I thank for those that are. Lonely voices crying in the city. Lonely voices sounding like a child. Lonely voices come from busy people to disturb, to stop a little while. Lonely voices fill my dreams. Lonely voices haunt my memory. And as you walk down the street, you're going to meet many lonely people. See, Joe Unick was one of them. But someone came alongside. Years ago, I was preaching in a church in Springboro, Pennsylvania. And after the service was over, a young lady came and knelt at the altar. I had graduated with her. Her name was Linda Berry. And after everyone left, she came up to me and she said, Joe, do you know why I walked to the altar tonight? I said, I have no idea, Linda. She said, in high school, I wanted to tell you about Jesus. I was a Christian, but I thought you would never listen. And I asked God to forgive me tonight. Because here you are speaking to me. I was one of those lonely voices. She could have come alongside, but she never thought that I would ask Jesus into my heart. But I did. Here I am today. But I'm going to close by giving you a last illustration. What drives us this morning? What would cause us to go out and be the power of one as we leave the building today? Many, many years ago, there was a guy by the name of Eddie Rockenbacker, Rockenbacker, Rocken, Rottenbecker, Rittenbacher. I got it right, Rittenbacher. I'm sorry, Rittenbacher. And he lived in Los Angeles. And every day, people would see him walking down to the pier with two bucket loads of shrimp. And he would feed the seagulls every day, every day. And after watching this go on for years, someone stopped him one day and he said, look, I've been watching you. You're giving these seagulls two bucketful of shrimp every day. Can you tell me why? He said, well, I flew the B-17 bomber, Flying Fortress. I was on a mission for General Douglas MacArthur. He said, our plane went down the Pacific Ocean. He said, we all lived, eight of us, but there were eight of us on a raft. And he said, we were floating along the Pacific. It was hot during the day. He said, our rations were gone. We thought we were going to die. He said, I had a Bible study. I didn't know what else to do. I said, man, let's just pray. And he said, early in the morning, he felt something on his head, but he thought it couldn't be. It sounded like a seagull. And he said, he grabbed it real quick. He said, what was a seagull doing way out in the middle of the ocean? To make a long story short, he killed the seagull. They ate a little bit of it. And then they formed little hooks, which they would throw into the water, and they would catch fish. And they lived. They didn't die. They all lived. And here's what he said. That seagull gave its life for me. The most I could do is care for the seagulls. <laughs> when I heard that story, I thought, yeah. There was one that died for me. 
and in thankfulness and gratitude, I want to reach everyone I can for Jesus Christ. You see, it's thankfulness, it's appreciation, what God has done for me. There was a book written years ago, and I bought it. In fact, it wasn't that long ago. It was called the book, it's called Awe. And what David Tripp said is that the church seems to have lost the spirit of awe. The awe of the things of God. Awe of what he did for us. Awe of the cross. I want to bring up a quote on the screen here this morning. It's by a guy named Albert Einstein. Probably one of the greatest minds that ever lived. He who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. Albert Einstein, who found this relativity, brilliant man, and he would study the sciences. He would look how everything is put together, and he said, how can people not stand in awe of what God has done and what God has made? And when I think of the Christian, we get to get up every day. I think many times we've lost the spirit of awe. We get running in life. We get busy. We get hurt, and things come our way, and we've lost that spirit of awe. Years ago, there was a gypsy named Gypsy Smith. I never heard him, but I heard he was exciting. He was always excited about the things of God, preaching, telling people about Jesus. And it came time for him to die. And they came to his bedside and they said, Gypsy, why were you always excited? You were always telling people about Jesus. What's your secret? Here's what he said. I guess I've never lost the wonder of it all. And I'm afraid... We have many within our churches today that have lost the wonder of it all. We've got busy with life. We've lost the awe of serving Jesus, our salvation, the cross. One thing I ask every morning to God, I say, God, I hope and pray I never lose the wonder of it all. You see, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, he's speaking to the church of Laodicea. He hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These sayings saith thee, Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, but thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, and thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. And here's what he said to the church of Laodicea. You've lost the awe. You've lost the wonder. Oh, you come to church, you go through all the things, yeah, you're busy, but one thing you've lost, is the wonder of it all. You're just going through the motions. And it's so easy being so busy that we get caught up in so many things that we lose the wonder of salvation, the awe of who God is, graciousness and the goodness of the king of the universe. It's easy to lose the awe. I'm going to close by having two quotes up here this morning. Small acts, when multiplied by millions of people, can transform the world. It's not the big. It's the little acts that you and I do every day that transforms the world. 
And then one other quote. I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. And this morning as I leave, I'm one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And when I leave tomorrow to go to school to substitute teach, I'll be coming in with a lot of young people, a lot come from broken lives, teachers, principals that I can touch for Jesus Christ. I'll be going to work at the Friendship Center. People are coming in left and right. I can talk to you about Jesus Christ as I get the opportunity. Being a ranger out overseeing the parks. I can do something. <laughs> there is the power of one. I can come alongside. And I don't know who God's going to lead into my life on a given day. And I have to be attentive. You see, the Bible says the Spirit spoke to Philip and told him to go down over here. But if you and I are so busy that we can't hear the Holy Spirit saying, you need to talk to them. You need to come alongside of them. You need to bless them. I'll never touch many lives as I come down here. You've been a great audience. You've listened so well, and I appreciate it. I hope the caption over your head was, I'm into this. Now, one question before we leave here today. What did you get out of the message today? Now it's your chance. What are you taking home from this message today? Who would be first to raise their hand? Come on, you are one. Let's go. What are you taking home? No sense leaving until we get some response. Anybody? Pardon? You can have an impact. We're not insignificant, are we? Mm-mm. Anyone else? Yes. Thank you. Someone said a gnat does the work of God the same as a thunderstorm. Right? Anyone else? Yes, Connie. <laughs> you are so nice, Connie. I'm taking you out to lunch today, okay? <laughs> okay, anyone else? Yes. You know, sweetheart, that is really wonderful. You listened very well, didn't you? Yeah, I'm taking you out to lunch too, okay? <laughs> what a sweetheart. Bob? Amen. Amen. One person. Okay. You've been a great audience. I appreciate being here today. I've always felt the warmth when I came here. Let me pray as we close this part of the service. Father, I thank you for this 